0: your week wasn't that bad come on say amen how many how many can say you yet have breath that's why the bible says let everything that have what everybody amen. let everything that have breath praise the lord somebody inhale and exhale and give god praise right now yes, yes. 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 <laughs> oh man i don't know why i'm so excited today well i'm excited every week to be honest Come on, say it. it doesn't take much to light my fire but i am I'm, I'm, I'm very glad to be here and i'm ready to get into the word this morning I'm ready to get into the Word this morning. I want to first begin by reviewing. I want to first begin by reviewing what we have studied uh, thus far. I'm so excited about those that are getting ordained in our second service today. Would you say amen? Amen. And I want you to know, let me just clarify something. Uh, Ordination simply means acknowledging that somebody has been called. It ain't graduation. Come on, say amen. Amen. You know, they're starting to have these uh, graduations for kindergartners now. When I, listen, when I was in kindergarten, there wasn't no graduation for kindergarten when I was in school. How many remember that? <laughs> listen, you had to wait. You had to really for real wait till 12th grade. There wasn't no middle school. They got graduations for everything now, Participata- participation trophies. And, you know, I, I'm not against that, you know, especially if you have a kindergartner, you, you enjoy those graduations. Amen. But, brothers and sisters, graduating from kindergarten simply just means you're just getting started. Come on, say Amen. And getting ordained simply means you're just getting started. That's all it means. Are y'all hearing me now? To be honest, everybody in here was ordained when you got baptized. When you got baptized, you accepted the call of God on your life. Did you know that? How many know that you have a call on your life? How many many clear on that? Praise the Lord. All right. Now, so what we've been doing over the past uh, several weeks um, have been talking about Uh, And trying to clarify to you what the mission of this church is, as it is in the word of God. A lot of times uh, churches shoot in the dark. They aim and hit nothing because they don't aim at anything. They don't aim at anything. We've been talking about that. But our church has been very strategic in that we want to be very clear. We want our members to be clear what exactly we are trying to do. And so our church's vision statement, put that on the screen. It's right here, very, very clear, very simple and succinct. Read that with me, everybody, is to do what? To help as many people as possible experience God's grace before Jesus returns. How many agree with that? Is that not the goal of life? We want as many people as possible to experience God's grace before Jesus returns. And then we have a strategy. The question is how? How are we going to do that? How are we going to get as many people as possible to experience God's grace? Go to that next slide. There are three ways that we're going to do that. It's our mission strategy, and our mission strategy is a very simple phrase that simply says, ready, set, go. Would you say that with me, everybody? Ready, set, go. Say it one more time. Ready, set, go. Why do we pick those three simple words? We just want every member, even if you woke up at 3 a.m. in the morning, if somebody asks you, what is Glenville all about, you can be able to say, ready, set, go. And these three things simply reflect three values that we have as a church to reach people with the grace of God, as many people as possible, before Jesus returns. The first principle is what, everybody? Ready or what? Worship, Worship, which means to reach what? To reach up. In other words, we believe that through corporate worship, people are drawn closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. In these services, these services are our evangelistic services. It is in these services that we are believing and expecting God to change lives. How many of you can say that your life has been changed in a worship service when you've gathered together with the saints of God? How many can say that? All right. Then number two, we said not only do we want to have a strong worship ministry, which I'm going to be honest, some churches, that's all they do is have church. That's it. That's all they do. They just come together and they they sing. They praise the Lord. They get dressed up. They go home. They do nothing. That ain't going to get it. Come on. Say amen. Especially if you believe that Jesus is coming soon. So we feel like we need to take the next step, and the next step is found deep in the Word of God. We talked about that last week, and that is set or to be in fellowship with each other. Somebody shout fellowship. So we're going to reach up in worship and we're going to reach around to one another in fellowship. Go to the next slide. And this is essentially what we are going to do. Practically, we are saying as a church family that we are committed to what the Bible says. And that's that God's people are not supposed to just come together one day out of the week on the weekend. But uh, throughout the week, we are to come together and to worship with one another in small groups. This is where life change happens. A lot of folks think life change happens in the worship service. No, in the worship service, you are convicted to change your life. But it's in small group Bible study that the actual change process can be manifested. Would you say amen? Amen. And so I want you to see this slide here. You see that? Uh, For most people, this uh, church service is just the tip of the iceberg. They say that iceberg is seven eighths underwater and one eighth above water. And most folks have settled simply for above water. That's it. Just a the surface. They just want a surface relationship with God. So my pastor, leave me alone. I just want to come to church. I want to hear the preacher preach. I don't want to know nobody. I don't want to talk to nobody. I just want, I want to mind my own business. Come on, say amen. Y'all know I'm telling the truth. That's why I don't want, I don't, I don't want to get involved in no mess with nobody. I just want the word to go home. I, you know, that sounds good, but that ain't biblical. All right. uh, that sounds good, but you're not going to grow spiritually. That's You have created your own religious construct for spiritual growth. The Bible says you ought to come together corporately, and the Bible says you ought to come together in small groups. So while we grow bigger, we also grow smaller, and it's in small group fellowship that people grow spiritually. That's where you go deeper. Like, I mean, so, and we talked last week about how people worship pastors, how people check to see is the pastor preaching this week. Like, come on, are you serious? Like, and, and, if, and if the sermon is not the way they like it, if the service is not the way they like it, you are an immature Christian if you are attached to a human being or to a certain worship style or song. Your walk with God's got to be deeper than that. And we know for real that you're going deeper when you don't just come on the weekend, but throughout the week. The Bible says that they were daily. Isn't that what the scripture said last week? Yeah. It says daily they were studying the word of God together. Yeah. Oh, come on, say amen, somebody. Amen. All right, so. We want to go deeper in small groups, corporate worship and small groups, which we have started. And by the way, we're getting closer to our number for go university. Go university is our way to do it where we have small groups all over the city and we're getting closer to our number 100. And hopefully by the end of today, we're going to hit 100 people registered for go university. Go to the next slide for me. And then finally, the third strategy that we're going to use, worship, small groups and go. Ready, set, go, which is outreach. That's it. That's all we're going to do as a church. Everything we do as a church is going to fall under one of those categories. We are going to reach out. How many know if you just take in, take in, take in, and don't reach out, you have not fulfilled the plan of God? There are some folks who feel like they are part of the church simply because they're sitting here listening to me right now. That means nothing. You are no more Christian sitting here listening to me right now than I am a car if I stand in a garage. Christianity must be demonstrated not just in words but in deeds. Would you say amen to that? All right. Now let's get into today's subject today. That's just a review. That's just a review. Our church vision is to help as many people as possible to experience God's grace before he comes. Now, today our subject is entitled going gone, going gone, going gone. Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us today. Help me today. Help your people today to receive the word in Jesus name. We pray and everyone said amen Amen. and amen. Next slide. Thirty six years. You guys see this? Thirty six years. That's the average age of an American in the United States of America. The average age is 36 years old. The average age in Cleveland, Ohio is 38 years old. Average age. So, in other words, the the great majority of our population in the United States of America are in their 30s. Y'all got that? Next one. Go to the next one just want to teach you a little something. The average age of our church is 60 years old. And so the Seventh-day Adventist Church in North America. All right, I just want y'all to get that math real quick. Let's try that one more time. Go back to the first slide. The average age in America is what, y'all? The average age in the Seventh-day Adventist Church is what? 60. Uh, That's a big gap, is it not? How many years is that? It's about 24-year gap. And what is that saying? That's essentially saying that while the world is getting younger, the church is getting older. In other words, the great majority of the world's population, we are not reaching. Did y'all catch that? That's just math. I'm just doing math, right? If the average age on the planet, especially in North America, is 36, you go to someplace like China, it's like in the 20s. But The average age in the United States is 36. And the average age of the church is 60. Problem. All that, all those numbers simply tell us is that we are not making an impact on the society. Are y'all listening to me? Another thing that suggests is, is that those that have held on to the church for years are in the twilight years of their lives while their children are not here. So, if we're gonna talk about mission, let's talk real, okay? If we're gonna talk about reaching this world, this planet, then we gotta be real with where we are. Am I I, I talking the truth here? All right, let's keep going. Y'all ain't heard nothing yet. Keep going. Seven out of ten, you know what that number reflects? That reflects the amount of young people that will leave the church. Out of ten young people that are born into the church, seven of them will leave by the time they go to college, by the time they get college age by the time they get to high school. Does that bother anybody? So not only not only, not only are we getting older, but the, but the young people that we do have, we are losing in droves. Seven out of 10. All right, go to the next one. I just want to build my case here. 30 to one. You know what 30 to one is? That's how many Seventh-day Adventist Christians it takes to produce one. Go ahead and look at the most recent, y'all don't believe me, go look at the most recent statistics from the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. It takes 30 Seventh-day Adventists, and, and this is just an Adventism. If you look at Christianity in general, the number is like 50. So we're doing a little better than everybody else. But it, takes, it basically takes 30 of us to bring one person to Jesus. Problem! I want y'all to feel what I feel when I go to sleep at night. Are y'all feeling me now? That is a problem. I mean, like, so Christianity cannot just be about me getting a blessing, about me getting a breakthrough, about me and my children when the great majority of our population is going to hell. And the church is growing older. This is not a knock. This is just the facts. What are we going to do about this when our assignment is to change the world? In the early days of the church, you know how many people it took to create to to, to produce one Christian, one to one. And in many cases, it was the reverse. It was it was one to thirty. Remember, in the early church, three thousand people joined the church in what one day. So instead of taking thirty people to bring one person to Christ, one person brought thirty. Like something has happened in Christianity to the extent that where Christianity now is the most convoluted term on the planet. If you ask somebody what a Christian is, it's up for discussion. Well, this is what Christianity is to me. This is how I live out my Christian experience. And I can tell you this. The great majority of people's idea of Christianity is all selfish. I want to be healed. I don't want to be broke. I want God to bless me and my children. I want to be saved. I want my family to be saved. And that's, that's about it. And if nobody else gets in, okay, I, I want to be saved. I, I want to be blessed. This is deception of the highest order, and this is why we're taking time over these weeks, Sister Sister Von, to talk about this because we want, to, we want 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 to raise the awareness in the church that our existence is not simply just to come and get a blessing. Thirty to one. It takes 30 of us to bring one person to Christ. Go to the next one. I'm just dropping some numbers on you. 42,000. In America, it costs 42,000 to bring one soul to Christ. In other words, most churches spend, this is on average, spend as much as $42,000 just to produce one soul. So think about this. Most churches they have a budget. Most churches, they, uh, you know, they're paying people. They, they have staff. They, they, they have worship service. Musicians. they musicians. They, they're paying the bills. They're doing all of that, but the great majority of them, it takes. they have to pay all their bills. And at the end of the day, elder, only one person comes to Christ. So we're spending money. We're spending resources. We're coming to buildings, but people are not coming to faith in Christ. As a matter of fact, in America, the number one reason for church growth is immigration and migration. People are coming from uh, the Caribbean, people are coming from uh, 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 Latin America, and they're moving in, and we're calling that growth. Another reason why we call the church, uh, say the church is growing, is because people are switching denominations. And so now, I leave this church, and I go over to this church, and we say, we're growing. We're not growing. All you did was shift denominations. What about the great majority of the population that doesn't believe in God? What about the majority of your coworkers that do not believe in God? What about, as I told you before, 60%—go to the next slide—60% of Cleveland, Ohio, considers themselves non-religious and non-church-going. Like, that should bother you. That should bother you as a person that's been saved by grace. That should bother you as a person who has experienced the love of Jesus Christ. That should bother you as a person who knows where God has brought you from. That should bother you as a person who who wants others to experience—do you not want other people to experience— Like, seriously, do you not want other people to experience what you have experienced in Christ? I mean, we go to sleep every night, and let's just be honest. According to Revelation, the third chapter, it talks about the church of Laodicea. If I could just tell you what the church of Laodicea is really all about, especially in the last days, you're going to have a church full of people who don't care. They care in theory, but their lives, their money, their time, their commitment announces, I don't care people are going to hell. I don't care that kids are growing up without fathers. I don't care that gang violence is destroying our neighborhoods. I don't care that that in some neighborhoods in Cleveland, 90% of the neighborhood has no man in the neighborhood. I just want a blessing. I just want the pastor to preach me happy. I just want my children to get into a good college. I just want a good job. I just want to pay. increase. I don't want to bother anybody, Pastor. Uh, let the preachers worry about that. Let the missionaries worry about that. But once you decided to become a Christian, you decided to become a preacher. You decided to become a missionary. You, because you were bought, hallelujah, because you were bought by the grace and the blood of Jesus Christ, he owns you now. He owns your mouth. He owns your heart. He owns your soul. He owns your money. He owns everything. And everything we have has been given to us that we might give him the glory. Are y'all feeling me here? Next one. Go to, go to the next one. So they give some explanations. Here's some explanations as to why, you know, church is dying for the most part. First one. Lack of member involvement. For the most part, let's just, (laughs) this is really depressing. It's really depressing in here right now, right? Yeah, yeah. But basically, in most congregations, 80% of your members are doing nothing and have never led a person to Jesus. (laughs) Never. Like, never. I want to be honest with you guys. I never led a person to Jesus until I became a pastor. I mean, I grew up in the church. I'm like fourth generation, but dad's a preacher. But I mean, it's kind of, it's cultural that you like, that's okay, though. Like, for real, it's kind of okay. Like, you're not going to go, I mean, in, a, in our subconscious, like, you're not going to go to hell if you don't lead anybody to Jesus. And I'm not saying you're going to go, you're, you're, I'm not going to say you're going to be saved because you do. But in our mind, we kind of just, we kind of just like, no, it's no big deal. Just be a good person. Just be a good person. That's it. But I'm asking you a question. If it's just being a good person, can you justify that from the Bible? No. Can you justify from the Bible, leading nobody to Jesus and being a Christian? Ooh. Doing you. So the first reason why church is dying, members don't care. <laughs> they don't care, for real. Now, it gets real when we start seeing our children walk away from Christ. Now, all of a sudden, we want to be evangelists but it's still just about ours. Like, we work with people every day. <laughs> Think about, <laughs> you, like, we work with people every day who don't know Jesus. Many of us have been in those places for 20, 30 years and have made no impact. <laughs> None. It's quiet in here. Facebook is quiet. You're not going to hear no amens. <laughs> those who are watching on streaming, I'm t- this is tough. It's tough. I mean, I'm asking, like, whoa, really? And you cannot tell me that God is looking down saying, no. heaven is not rejoicing. The Bible says heaven rejoices with one sinner. Well, it's going to take 30 of us to do that. <laughs> number two, number two. And, and listen, honestly, it, it sounds negative, but I'm going to give you a solution that will literally radically change your life where you are not going from blessing to blessing. Most Christians are just trying to get from one blessing to another. Financial blessing, physical blessing, kids blessing, marriage blessing. Just get me from, we're just hopping from blessings. Let me just get to this blessing. But I'm telling you, once your life changes its focus from you to others, you're not hopping from blessings. You live, you are, You become a blessing. You live in the, in the atmosphere of blessing. Because God then is able to trust you with his, with his supply so that he knows you're gonna be a blessing to other people. He has no, he has no worries about giving you a million dollars. Because he knows you ain't gonna keep it. He'll trust you with a car, he'll trust you with a bigger house. Y'all feel me? <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Number two, another reason why church is dying, church is out of style. This is just societally speaking. How many of you, you've heard me say this before, how many of you have heard the phrase, people saying, I, you know, I'm, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. How many of you heard that? Amen. Translation, I want to do whatever I want. Right. And on that list is not church. <laughs> I don't like church. I don't like church people. I've had a ba- bad experience with church. So I'll, I'll do my own God thing while you guys go to church, and thus the churches are empty. Number three, the last reason is irrelevant methods. <laughs> so just the other day, you know, I was watching the Cavs game, big Cavs fan. Very big gas. I'm not ashamed to say it. I'm a Cavs fan. Moved here and just embraced everything in Cleveland except the Browns, but I do support them. I do. I mean, I'm still a Cowboys fan, but I mean, I like the Browns. How can you hate on the Browns? (laughs) Just be sympathetic to the Browns, right? So, I mean, y'all know I'm on Facebook, and I'm really happy for the Cavaliers. Very happy. All right? So, a guy gets on my Facebook page and says, instead of watching the Cavs game, you need to be out passing tracks at the Q arena and warn people that Jesus is coming soon. Now, most of you, depending on how I would say that, you would say amen to that. You would. Like, we got, think about that. At the Q, it's, it seats like 20,000 people. On the outside of it, you probably got another 5,000 people who are watching outside. That's 25, maybe 30,000 people. And a brother saying, look, man, this preacher is up here talking about the calves. What he need to be doing, he needs to be out here passing out tracks. So people can be warned that Jesus is coming soon. So that's his methodology. His methodology is saying, how do we get people to know about Jesus? We put a piece piece of paper in their hand that tells them that Jesus is coming soon. Somebody will read that. They'll get it, and they'll say, hey, I want to serve the Lord. Now, I'll be honest with you, there have been times where that has worked. But let me help you out right now. That don't work no more. I was at the Washington Monument. You know, I'm from D.C., but you know, it's funny, you live there, but you don't spend a lot of time visiting the monuments. So we went and visited home the other day, and we decided, man, we're gonna go to the Martin Luther King Memorial, because I never got a chance to do that. And, you know, they got the new African American museum that's coming. So we went down, checked all that out. And while we were there, there were some Christians who were, who were just sitting there, and some JWs, and, and they were just passing out stuff. And one of the, one of the tracks I got was basically, Jesus is coming soon. If you're not right, you're gonna be lost, and you need to repent. And I'm a preacher, just be honest with you, I threw it in the trash. (laughs) Okay. JW saw me, gave me some, I mean, (laughs) I just threw it in the trash, I'm sorry. (laughs) Now, if I'm a preacher and I did that, let me ask you, what's the majority of this non-Christian world doing when we throw a piece of paper at them? See, that's what we want to do. That's our method. See, I'm talking about irrelevant methods. This is what we want to do. We we don't want to have any relationship with you. We see that you need Jesus, we're going to go like this. Don't get me wrong. Listen, I'm, I'm trying to tell you guys. There was a time, there was a time that worked. There was a time where you, I, some of you came to the Lord because of a flyer. What I'm telling you right now is that don't work no more. When people see religious material, they are offended at the sight of it, the great majority of people. And they oftentimes assume you're a JW. No, no not, not slighting, them, not disrespecting them. But it's, it's kind of, this is what it says, it shouts insincerity. It, what it says, this is the interpretation that people have. I'm telling you what researchers say. What people interpret that as, when you give me something and you walk away, it, it's saying to them that you really want me to be a part of your organization, but you don't care about me. So we'll go into neighborhoods where people are starving. They have no food. They have poor schools. There's crime that is rampant. I know I'm talking the truth in here. I mean, there's all kind of societal ills. The buildings are torn down. The houses are dilapidated. I'm talking about Cleveland, Ohio. And we'll go to a poor person's house and we'll give them Bible studies, but we will not solve their problems. That, I'm just telling you, there was a time that worked. That don't work no more. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Right. Uh, what, I, what I want to announce to you is that the days of just circulating literature, and I'm not saying we're not going to circulate literature. I'm not saying that. I'll do, I'll do whatever I can to reach one person. But what I'm telling you is, is you will spend, it says if you, if you pass out a thousand flyers, only one person will respond. But if you love people, if you meet people in their space, if you meet people in their situation, if you you meet people in their... But what I'm finding out, preacher, is that we don't want to get dirty. We don't want to make sacrifices with our time. We don't want to give up Sundays and Mondays and our commutes. We would rather... I'm saying there are churches that spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on sending out literature to people's doors. And I'm not against that, but you will be more effective in today's society if you build a relationship with somebody, if you meet their needs. So what am I saying? I'm saying part of the reason why churches are dying is because churches are using antiquated methods. Do you remember the days where you just pitch a tent, put a tent on a corner, and just put it in a bad neighborhood? You can't pitch a tent in Pepper Pike. But that's, that was our evangelism. We take a tent, you put it in the worst neighborhood. Huh? You feed them. you, you feed them, Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you put a little food out there. You be real nice to them. Huh? Then you baptize them. And then you don't have nothing else to do with them no more. You baptize 100. Four will stay. God, I don't really want to be bothered with all of those baby kids. I don't want to be battling with no druggy person. I don't, want to, I don't want to deal with somebody who's got split personalities. I don't want to deal with a person who's always got their hand out. Y'all not, y'all not being real. Those of you who work in these hoods, you know what I'm talking about. They always need something. They always need money. They always need money. They always need money. They always need money. And it's, you feel drained. And, and to be honest, sometimes you're just like, I don't want to deal with you. Here's a track. There's some Bible studies. Jesus is coming soon. You need to be ready. I don't want to be bothered with you. I got my own problems. What happened to us? Many of you came to faith in Christ because somebody came to your situation, came to your neighborhood, came to your home, and some of them hung with you for years while you was acting a fool and drinking and carrying on and shacking up. And now that we're here, So here's the question I'm asking. I'm getting ready to close. Like, I'm struggling with this, y'all. I want you to feel me today. I am struggling with why the great majority of us don't really care. I'm not talking. Listen, I know if I ask everybody here, do you want people to go to heaven? No. Who in their right mind going to say no? And then if I ask you, what are you doing? To ensure that that happens. I'm just over place now. It doesn't matter what comes out of my mouth. What really tells what I value is not what I say, but what I do. And this I want a blessing kind of church is going to destroy us while we've got thousands. I'm telling you, in these streets are doctors and lawyers. In these streets are preachers. I was listening to City Brooks, his, his funeral uh, the other day and they were talking about it. And they were talking about how, how, how people came to his family. Can you imagine if somebody didn't make the sacrifice to go to Greensboro, North Carolina and spend days in the hot sun and pitch a tent and spend days with his family, how many hundreds of thousands of people would not have gone? I believe that the next C.D. Brooks is in this neighborhood. I believe that the next Myron Edmonds is in one of these projects. I believe that there's a prostitute out there that has a testimony that can change the world. I believe that there's a businessman who is absorbed in his own success and he cares nothing about his own power and his reputation. But when he feels the gospel, he will use his means and his resources and his finances to not only employ people, but to literally provide blessings for the world. But how's that going to happen? It's not going to happen if I throw a track at him. Go to the next slide. So the question is, is Why are we not really inspired? I mean, seriously, what's the problem? I know, we don't have the Holy Spirit. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I heard that before. We, for real, pastor, we really don't love the Lord. Ah. I mean, come on now. I love the Lord, man. I'm just lazy. (laughs) I love Jesus. I just, I got things to do. Or you're real sophisticated. Pastor, it doesn't matter what you say. You're not going to persuade me because I make up my own mind. I don't have to listen to you. (laughs) Whatever. I think I've got the answer. I'm going to tell you right now what is the thing that is missing from making us an alive church. I got it. And this is it right here. We're so focused on what that we don't have a why. Oh, Oh, Lord. Please stay with me right now. What am I? I'm Adventist. What am I? I'm a Christian. What do I believe? I believe in the Sabbath. I believe Jesus is coming soon. I believe in the God. What? We're just preoccupied with what to know, what to believe, what we are. That's not what changes the world. What changes the world is not what, but why. Go to that next slide for me. People, read this, y'all, don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. So this is the equivalent of being a what Christian. Who are you? I'm a Christian. You just told them what you are. Who's that going to change? What's the, what's the next thing they're going to do now that you've announced who you are? They want to look and see why you are that way. Let me give you a prime example of this. Now, I know y'all don't, y'all don't do this, but, you know, Chick-fil-A is something else. Let me tell y'all about Chick-fil-A. Here's a reason people like Chick-fil-A. You know it's the number one fast food restaurant in America right now. And it's not, listen, it's not because of a chicken sandwich. I mean, for real, why is that, why is like Chick-fil-A blowing up like all of a sudden? It just seemed like it came out of nowhere. Chick-fil-A been around for a minute. But now all of a sudden, A fried piece of chicken with a pickle (laughs) on two buttery pieces of bread has changed the world. Everybody want a Chick-fil-A sandwich? Everybody. Yes, you do. You want one. (laughs) You want one right now. (laughs) Can I tell you why? Anybody that's ever been to Chick-fil-A, I'm going to tell you why. Because Chick-fil-A don't sell sandwiches. They don't. They're not selling chicken. Wendy's sells a chicken sandwich. McDonald's got a chicken sandwich. Burger King got a chicken sandwich. Everybody, Raleigh's got a chicken sandwich. Convenience store around the corner that sells liquor, uh, extermination, everything. You know, the one-stop shop. They got everything. Their they're part store, everything. They sell chicken sandwiches. How come Chick-fil-A is balling? You know why? Because they're not selling chicken sandwiches. They're selling service. Have you ever been to a fast food restaurant where they have flowers in there? Real flowers. When you come in, they speak to you. I'm serious. Go in and see what I'm talking about. If you don't eat chicken, get some french fries. It is amazing. I like going in there just because they speak to you. They call you by your name. They come clean up your table like you're in a five-star restaurant. Chick-fil-A is not selling chicken sandwiches. They're selling hospitality. And this is the difference between Chick-fil-A and everybody else. Chick-fil-A has a why. They have a promotional video, and and, and they train their workers with this video. And in the video, they have have a, a girl who's at the register, and she's taking people's orders. And as people are coming up, giving their orders, in the video, it's silent. You see them put a description of the person on top of them, so like their words. And so a person walks up. To buy a chicken sandwich, you don't hear anything, but the worker is seeing that they're a single-parent mother who just lost their husband. Wow. And, and then, then there's somebody sitting at a table, and, and, and the words pop over their head, woman just had a, uh, wo- wo- woman, woman, woman had breast cancer and almost died. Then they see some children playing in a little jungle gym, and they say, and they say something like, uh, a chil- children who, who were brought here by their adopted father. And so what Chick-fil-A is telling their employees is this, is that when people come in here, they're not coming in here just because they want a piece of chicken. They're coming in here because they're trying to take their mind off of some issue in their life. And I don't want you treating them like we have to give you something. I want you to treat them like they have something to give us. Have you ever been to a fast food restaurant and you're up there ordering and they're getting the attitude with you because you're in there? service? I'm serious. I was at, won't, won't, won't tell you the place. I went in there and they're like, no, I'll tell you what, it was Dave's, it was Dave's, Dave's grocery store. And I'm in line and it's like they got to, and, and, and so you know, they're ready to turn the light off because it's time for break. But they see me coming before the break time comes. And when I come, my basket is full. You know, what I'm, you know where I'm going, right? You, you ever come and you got a full basket and they roll their eyes? And I'm saying to myself, what are you here for? So if I brought less groceries, you'd be okay with that? I mean, the customer service at Walmart. It's 5 o'clock in the afternoon. It's rush hour. There are two registers open, and there's a 1,000 people in there. And they're looking at me funny because I'm at a store where they're selling stuff. Y'all not hearing me here. See, they're selling products. But Chick-fil-A is not selling that product. They're selling kindness. They're selling respect. They're selling when you come in here, we'll treat you with dignity. It's not about a chicken sandwich. It's about an experience. And for many of us, the church has become like Walmart in days where we see people as a nuisance. We see people as a bother. And let me tell you why. Because we don't have a why. We know who we are. We know what we are. But what's your why? What drives you in the morning? I'm Adventist. They're not. That's not a why. Why? That inspires people is a why. Oh, let me give you an example of this. I mean, I love, so y'all know I love sports, and I especially love a story of an underdog. And sometimes in the NFL, you have these kids who uh, uh, they, go, they, they, they came from tough, tough circumstances, right? And, 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 and you got these other kids who came from privilege. They went to the best schools, they made good grades, their parents had money, or their parent played in the league. So they have name recognition, it's nepotism, and they automatically have a spot because of who they know. But then there's this kid, he, he, I don't know, I'm just being hypothetical, he he might come from East Cleveland somewhere, you know, both his parents are incarcerated, he's he's been raised by his grandmother, you heard the story a thousand times, and he had a a physical condition where the doctors told him that he would never be able to play sports again, but but, but he also has brothers and sisters that he raised, And, and so he wants to get to the NFL, not because he just wants to play football, he leaves college early, Not simply because he doesn't want to learn, but he knows that when he gets to the league, he's got a family to take care of. So you got this one kid who comes from privilege, and he's in practice, and and he knows he's going to make the team so he doesn't have to work hard. And then he's right beside another kid who knows if he doesn't make the team, his whole family will suffer. If he doesn't make the team, his mother won't get the transplant. If he doesn't make the team, he can't pull his family out of the hood. Are you hearing me now? What's the difference between two players? One of them has a Why? One of them's got a reason. His reason is not just about making it to the lead. The reason why he plays so hard. The reason why he works so hard. The reason why he's dedicated to his craft. Because he knows that if he's not, Miles will go hungry. If he doesn't do that, he knows that his family will go back to the hood. He's got a why. And what I'm discovering about many of us is we got a what. I know what I am, but we don't have a Why? What's your why? You will never want to lead people to Jesus Christ if you don't have a why. What's your purpose? What's your motivation? What puts compassion inside you when you see folks instead of a condescending thought? Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm about to end this thing right now. Pick this up in the second service. But the Bible says that there is a why. In the book of uh, Matthew, the 28th chapter, Watch what it says. It says, Jesus says this. He says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them. Y'all know this. In the name of the what? Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the what? Our assignment is to go. Make disciples. As a matter of fact, if you look at that in the Greek, there is no verb that says Go. It's actually a participle, and a participle is a word that supports a verb. So, in other words, the verb in that text is "make disciples." Our what is to make disciples, not make Adventists. I'm about to really shock you now. Not make Christians. You can't make a Christian. You can make a disciple. Understand now, the word Christian was never used by Christ. The word Christian was used by the world. When they saw Christians, they said, let's call them Christians. But what did Christ call his people? He called them disciples. And you know what a disciple is? The word disciple means a learner or a follower. Uh, The Bible is saying God has called us to make learners and followers and students of Jesus. Oh, y'all not hearing me now. In other words, if you're a student and you're passionate about your teacher and you're passionate about what you're learning and you're passionate about how you're growing and you're passionate about where you're going in the class, then you tell everybody you got to join this program. You got to be in this class. I'm a student of Jesus Christ. But that's just the what. That's the what. We are students of Jesus. That's that's what I am. And so I'm committed to what He says. I'm committed to what He does. I'm committed to who He is. Because I'm a learner. I'm a life. I don't know it all. But I just want to get Jesus. Have I got anybody in here that just wants more of Him? That's the reason why you became. You came to faith because you came to faith not in a religion. You came to faith in a person. Did you? I'm telling you, that will change your why. If you simply just joined an organization, then you'll go through the ups and downs of the organization. But if you join a person that's sweeter than 10,000, that's fairer than the lilies, that's greater than your problems, that's able to save for the uttermost, I'm not worshiping an organization. I worship a savior, a person, king of kings, lord of lords, ruler of heaven and earth. He is able to keep me from falling. So I says he says go, he says while you're going, notice this he didn't say go, he assumes that you're going. That's why I title my sermon is going gone. We're like, all right, come on guys, let's go out. No, Jesus assumes if you're a disciple, you are already gone. <sighs> Y'all missed that. Jesus assumes if you're a disciple of His, nobody you're not at the starting line, waiting for somebody to tell you to go. You've already gone. so he says, while you're going, make learners, make students of me. Now watch this. I didn't see this until recently. This is where I'm going to end. I'm like, okay, that tells me what to do, but it doesn't tell me why. Can I show you this now? Go to Matthew 28, and then let's go to verse 16. Somebody say hallelujah. Watch this here. Yes, the next slide. Just to go two slides over. Oh, bless his name. Uh huh. Yeah, right there. Watch this. I didn't even realize this was connected, Brother Cavers. I didn't even see this. And so, what I've been telling you thus far is why is the church so lazy, so disconcerned, so fruitless, so powerless when we don't have to be? I'm going to rock your world right now with this scripture. Watch this. When Jesus said this to his disciples, he said this to 11 of them, who, for all intents and purposes, God should have given up on. I'm going to talk about it in a second, sir. Listen, the sex service. Listen, the disciples were not perfect. As a matter of fact, they just turned their backs on him. Am I preaching Bible? This is before Pentecost. He gives them, go ye therefore, right after they deserted him. In other words, the call of ministry on your life is not given to you because you're good. It's given to you because God sees that he can do good in you. Ministry is not reserved simply for folk who've never done anything wrong. Matter of fact, he went and gave a call to somebody that was in the gutter. Watch this. He says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Next text. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. So in the crowd, you got faith and you got doubt. Now, if I'm God, I'm like, I'm not dealing with this. They're fake. They still don't believe. I was dead. Now I'm alive. And the Bible says some doubted. Like, how are you doubting now? Like, I was dead. I'm alive. They doubted. So in my mind, if I were Jesus, I'd have been like, I'm not going to give this assignment to them. But watch what happens here. And Jesus came and said to them, all what, y'all? <laughs> in heaven and earth and on earth has been given to what? All right, now watch this. Go, therefore. Go back. Did you catch that? Let's try it again. Go back to the next verse, the the verse before. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Next verse. Go therefore. Go back. You didn't miss it. You missed it. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Next verse. Go therefore. Y'all didn't get it. Go back again. I just gave you your why. I just gave you your why. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Next verse. Go there. You got that? Watch this. The reason we're to go is because he already won. notice, Notice what he's saying. He's like, okay, you couldn't really go before to the whole world. But because I just beat death. 40 days ago because I did everything I said I was going to do before I got here and I literally arm wrestled the devil into total submission so that now he no longer has authority on the planet now I'm running things what Jesus is basically saying is is, I'm boss and because I beat death I'm boss and because I'm boss now I tell you change the world But, Lord, it's just 11 of us. It doesn't matter. I'm boss. I just changed the world with one move I won. I'm not going to win. I'm not trying to get victory. I already have the victory. Where, Lord? I've got it in heaven and on earth. All power is mine. And listen here, that's why the Bible says in Romans 8, it says we are more than conquerors. One of the things that the enemy wants us to think is that we've got to try to get victory. We don't get what we already got. Satan doesn't want you to know that he's already got all power over your life. The Bible says that he's got all power over heaven and earth. In other words, everywhere you go, everywhere you turn, God is in control. He says, so with that in mind, Change the world. Go to every nation. Hallelujah. Go to every tongue. Go to every people. There's no way you can lose. I already won. Right. And then he says at the end, and by the way, lo, I'm with you always. There's a difference. You know why, you know why we should be winning the war of salvation? Because we won We won. It's over. He already won. He already... Every area in your life that you feel defeated, I'm telling you right now, He won it. That's my why. Why do I get up in the morning looking for souls to bless? Because I won already. It's only a matter of time before I win them. It's only a matter of time before lives will be changed. I I don't give the devil any credit. The devil is a liar. He is defeated. He's not going to be defeated. He's already defeated. Some of us give the devil too much credit in our lives. Some of us have such self-defeating thoughts like you've lost. I'm telling you right now that you're not going to win. You already won. The Lord said, he said all authority. Notice he didn't say all power. Power is a Greek word dunamis. Authority is a Greek word exousia. There's a difference between power and authority. Oh, y'all not hearing me now. Y'all not hearing me now. Let me tell you what authority is. Authority is a police officer who has a badge, right? He got a gun. That's power. The gun is power. But he must submit to the badge. See, the police officer doesn't have the power. The police officer, and see, in some neighborhoods, they know this. We just don't know it in ours. That police officers are serving us, right? <laughs> like you go to some neighborhoods, that's why they can talk to police officers in no kind of way, because they know I'm paying your salary. <laughs> Yo, the, 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 hey, the reason why you got a gun is because I pay taxes. Yeah. Yeah. So listen, so the police officer will walk around, and he he can, he can operate in power. He can pull you over. He can he can give you a ticket. But guess what? Even when he pulls you over and gives you a ticket, that ticket doesn't mean that you have to pay it. What's your next step? I can go to court. You know why? Because all the police officer has is power, but he doesn't have authority. See, the judge operates on behalf of the people. Y'all not hearing me now. That's why y'all saw the OJ say it says, the people of California against OJ Simpson. Who's got the authority? It's not the one with the badge. It's the one who does not have the badge. Power is just ability. Authority means I've got rights. Oh, y'all don't believe me now. Now, any of you guys have the power to walk in my house anytime you want to? You have the power. You can come and walk in, but you don't got no authority. You come in my house on your own. I've got the authority to kick you out, but you got the power to do it. See, authority is greater than power. Amen. And what God said is, He says, I just don't have power. He says, I have authority. I have jurisdiction. In other words, I own the planet. Yes. Satan, you once owned the planet, but now we have we have exchanged owners. Right. And because I own this thing, I am declaring that everybody, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus said, I've got all authority. Yeah. Come on, Willie. Let's just be honest. Reason why we ain't one in the world is because we're not operating in the authority of God. We are the body of Christ, which means I am the hands and feet of Jesus. Which means I don't operate in power, I operate in authority. When I talk to the devil, I don't talk to him asking for stuff. I talk to him because I have authority over him. Good Lord. When I go into neighborhoods and I see people strung out, I'm not saying, Lord, please help us. I say, Lord, because you have given me authority in your name. I declare this neighborhood belongs to the kingdom of God. But many of us do not know how to operate in authority. You've got to deal with devil, not in power. You deal with Satan in authority. What's your authority? The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run in and they are safe. The badge of your authority is Jesus. It is God with us. It is Emmanuel. It is the Son of God. I'm not asking for what God already promised me. Do you know that you operate in authority? Mm. Right. Lord, if you Lord, if you just save my children. No. Because you've given me authority. I command in the name of Jesus. Mm. Of the power of God, because of what the word of God said. Because I stand on something greater than my own thoughts, I stand on the authority of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is my authority. That's why we ain't scared to no building that costs a few million dollars. The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. I'm not walking around here scared asking for something from somebody. I'm walking around here in my authority! What's your why? You know, my why is? He beat death for me. He saved me. He changed me. He loved me. He keeps on loving me. He keeps on blessing my unworthy behind. He keeps on providing for me. He keeps on caring for me. He keeps on protecting me. He keeps on delivering me. He keeps on being. Merciful to me. He keeps on being faithful. Have I got a witness? Yeah. To me, and in light of all that he's done for me, including looking death in the face and saying you're defeated. That's my why. I ain't no punk. I'm not I'm not trying to get victory. I've already got it. It's mine operating your authority. Holy Spirit, we've allowed the devil to trick us and make us think that we got to get the victory, and we got to get ourselves together, and we got to get right. When you've already done all those things, all we simply have to do is walk in what you have already done. We need a mindset change. To know that we have the victory. Somebody here right now needs to just come and be prayed for. Come and be prayed for right now. The enemy is all on your back. <laughs> enemy messing with your mind, with your thoughts, with your family, with your finance, with everything. He's just bothering you left and right. And you begin to believe the lies of the enemy. But I got news for you right now. You already won, (laughs) you won, you won, you won!